for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. To 10. <coughs> Joshua 13, 1 Corinthians 10. I'll wait while you get there. Okay, are you there? So, Joshua chapter 13, and this is the second half of the book. Uh, Not that we're going to explore all of that this morning, but just as I mentioned last week, it's kind of divided into two, very fast-paced, chapters 1 to 12, and then it slows down, but God is still at work and the people are still responding. So, Joshua chapter 13, when Joshua was an old man, the Lord said to him, you're growing old, and much land remains to be conquered. This is the territory to that remains all the regions of the Philistines and the Geshurites, and the larger territory of the Canaanites extending from the stream of Shihor on the border of Egypt northward to the boundary of Ekron, and it includes the territory of the five Philistine rulers of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. The land of the Avites in the south also remains to be conquered, and in the north the following area has not yet been conquered. All the land of the Canaanites, including Merah, which belongs to the Sidonians, stretching northward to Aethek on the border of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites and all, the Lebanon, all of the Lebanon mountain area to the east, from Balgad below Mount Hermon to Lebohamath, and all the hill country from Lebanon to Misrepothmaim, including all the land of the Sidonians. And I myself will drive these people out of the land ahead of the Israelites. So be sure to give this land to Israel as a special possession, just as I've commanded you. Include all this territory as Israel's possession when you divide this land among the nine tribes and a half tribe of Manasseh. I love the detail (laughs) that goes on here, isn't it? You know, get a map and look it up. Um, I mean, I I think that's part of the inspiration of this book, the incredible detail that we find. Say quite easily, well, why didn't he just sort of just vaguely describe it and say, you've still got all that to do. But it's very detailed, isn't it? And this is part of the nature of Scripture, uh, that it speaks to real time, real people, and places and events, etc., etc. Then if you come over to uh, 1 Corinthians and chapter 10, keep your finger in Joshua. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, And all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. And in the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as as followers of Moses. And all of them ate the same spiritual food. And all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Yet God wasn't pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness." These things happened as a warning to us so that, we should, so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So here we are 
at the end of the ages, uh, many, many years further on, and yet this book still has relevance for us. It still has import for you and I in our day-to-day lives. Um, As we said last week, just a reminder for any who weren't there, and it's also good to remind ourselves, Joshua, the book of Joshua is primarily about God. We very often think of them and what they did, but it's about God, a God who is and a God who promises and a God who is faithful to his word. And over it, we might say that God proves himself. God proves his word true. And it's wonderful in that respect. So it's, it's prophetic history. It's this grand story. It's this unfolding narrative. It's about people. It's about God. God gave and it was theirs to possess. And so they remembered and they rehearsed. I, I don't know whether any of you married couples. Do you ever remember and rehearse those early days? You know? And, and, you know, when you remember them and rehearse them, you don't just remember them and rehearse them as kind of little details that happened long ago, but somehow when you remember and rehearse, you enter again into the story, don't you? You enter again and you, you feel those feelings that you had there in those early days. And uh, Pam and I were, were doing it the other day, and you, you go back. And you rehearse the conversation, you rehearse the actions, and, and so on. And, and suddenly things are stirred within you. And this is part and parcel of what it means to, to, be, to get hold of the Word of God. It's, this is our story, brothers and sisters. It's not just their story, it's our story. And we are part of this grand narrative. Yes, our place takes place a lot further on, many hundreds and thousand years further on. But this is our story. And Israel rehearsed over and over again its story. It did so in the Passover, of which communion uh, is a a follow-on. They would rehearse, not just in a term of, of remembering, but an engagement with this God who had delivered them from the clutches of of, of the pharaohs and Egypt, the slave masters and so on, who had delivered them and promised them a better life in a better land. So, they remembered and they rehearsed. The aim of God then is the creation. It's always good to remember this. It is the creation of a community, a family of loving persons from every tribe and tongue and nation Uh, with God himself at the centre as father and sustainer. And you can see that uh, carried out in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19-22 to 3, verse 10. 2 verses 19-22, if you're making notes, and 3, verse 10. God has always been after a family. When he created Adam and Eve, it was that they might live within the circle of his Trinitarian fellowship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When man fell, he had a plan, and he pursued mankind to the, to the extent that he actually became one of us. He lived here, and he died for us, and he rose again. And there is a man in the glory, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And, uh, and so God has always been after a family, the creation of a community, a family of loving people from all t- tribes and tongues of nations, and, and he would be at the center as the father and sustainer. So, last week we, we talked a little bit about our, our vision, and I just want to do a, a reminder of that as well, because it's good to have a personal vision as well as a, a corporate vision. What's it like? Where am I going? And so for the Israelites, where were they going? 
They were going to a land that was flowing with milk and honey. That was always the promise. It was a a land far better than anything that they had left behind. Though occasionally they thought that what they left behind was better than where they were going. And how on earth you can think a place full of cucumbers and all that kind of thing is better than where you're going, I don't know. Um, Because that's not my cup of tea. Okay. But occasionally they would just look back on this journey and think, oh, I wish we were back in Egypt. And, uh, but they would look back. And, but God had promised them a better land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And you and I, we, we need a big vision for our Christian lives. It's more than just getting saved. That's the first part. But a big vision for the whole of our lives, a vision that will captivate us, a vision that will in, in, encourage us and, and cause us to move forward day by day through the thick and the thin of life. And so a bigger vision of the Christian life, a bigger vision of church. You know, church is more than just coming and, and being together on a Sunday morning and singing a few songs and listening to a word and then going home to our separate lives at the end of the day. Church is much bigger than that when we read the New Testament. And again, I commend to you a, a thorough rereading of Scripture and engaging of God's prophetic purposes. A bigger vision of what it means to be kingdom people. More than knowledge and and believism. More than a ticket to heaven when I die. God has a purpose for each one of us. And God has a purpose for us as a community. And and we talked about last week that was involving participation in the very life of Christ. in Being in union with Him. Enjoying fellowship with the Father. Having the privilege of hearing the Father's voice. Uh, knowing the fullness and the, the power of God present in our own lives by the Holy Spirit and pursuing and exercising the gifts of the Spirit, growing in grace and faith and adding to our faith and, uh, and in, enlarging on and uh, exercising, developing uh, those creation gifts that He has given to us, going on to maturity. Words that God placed in my life and has been part of what has been the thrust of of the ministry that God has given me, it's it's these two words, there's more. Whoever you are, wherever you are, there is more. Don't settle. There's more. There's more for you individually. There's more for you as couples. There's more for you as families. There's more for us as a church. And so it's entering into the blessings that are ours in Christ. And so God spreads before us a a, a personal vision. And and when you read this story, so in in, in chapter 13, 14 of of Joshua, you discover Caleb, an individual who's part of this journey. And he's carried something all these years. He was one of those spies who originally went into the land, 12 spies, and, and two of them came back with a good report. And, say, and, and it's like, yeah, this is great. Let's go for it. Ten spies looked at it and saw all the giants, all the problems, all the difficulties, and they discouraged the rest of Israel. But Caleb carried something in his heart that wasn't going to be diminished. The enemy was never going to squash it. And so when they got over there and they got into that land, there came a time when he said to Joshua, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. And it may be that you have waited for a long time for, for, for a prophetic word, a, a promise to be fulfilled. And you've, you've walked through the, the discouragement of others. And you have wondered whether God still remembers. Scripture tells us that He does. He remembers His word that He gives to us and He will fulfill it in due season. 
And there is a season then when we, we say, right, this is the moment of time. This is the opportunity. This is the moment we lay hold of that word. Give me this mountain. So it's about the, the individual, but it's also about this, this body of people, this people who are on a journey together. They weren't just a, a group of individuals uh, enjoying life with God on their own, but they were a group who enjoyed God together. They were on a journey together. We have been and are on a journey. Our vision is to grow a family of believers who are passionate about loving God and His presence, that are secure in their identity as His sons and daughters and filled with the Holy Spirit, and each one partnering with Jesus daily in extending His kingdom. Let's say it together, shall we? Our vision is to grow a family of believers who are passionate about loving God and His presence, that are secure in their identity as His sons and daughters, and filled with the Holy Spirit, each one partnering with Jesus daily in extending His kingdom. And so we have our own individual stories, but we have our corporate story, that story which is us together as the people of God on a journey. And and my, the journey that God takes you on, it's a journey that has twists and turns. It's a journey uh, that unfolds as we walk this road together, as we keep in step with the Spirit together. And you and I know that when we read the story of the Old Testament people of God, there were obstacles in their way. And they had to, to find out the facts. So they sent the original party all those years before. And they went into the land and they, they saw indeed that it was a good land. It was a land that was flowing with milk and with honey. But there were some who were just overwhelmed by the problems of entering that land. And all that they could see was the giants. And their response was, we are just like grasshoppers in front of them. In other words, when you think of a grasshopper, crunch. You know, we, we don't want to go in there. So for them, what they were looking at was bigger than the God they were believing in. And they, they saw the, these giants of the land and they said, oh, it may be a good land, but boy, what chance have we got against people like that and the armory that they have uh, against us? We'll never do it. And so they discouraged Israel. They brought discouragement on the camp and, and as a result they wandered uh, for 40 years. It's good to look at the facts. It's good to be realistic, but we should never allow looking at the facts, being realistic, to get in the way of faith. We should never allow the facts. Yes, when they came again, they, they sent a couple of spies over to have a look, check it out. But we must never allow the facts, being realistic, because sometimes that's what we say, well, okay, let's be real, brothers and sisters, it looks really difficult. And we talk all about the so-called realism. We get our eyes off God. We talk about the realism. And before we realize it, we've lost faith. And we're backing away. Maybe that you, you've done that. You've, you, as, a, as a typical sort of Westerner, you've logically looked at things and you've said, I can't do that. You're realistic. But we have a great God who has a destiny upon our lives and we're called to be men and women of faith. They explored the land. There were giants in there. Everyone has them. 
We're called to warfare. And God, you know, has a way of unmasking them, but a bit more about that later. So here we are. Deliverance and salvation from Egypt was one thing, but the journey to the promised land was another thing altogether as it revealed the need in their hearts, in their lives, for a further deliverance from inner bondages of rebellion and fear, unbelief and idolatry, sexual immorality, ungratefulness, grumbling, anger towards God. When I began the Christian life, I knew I was a sinner and needed saving. I just didn't realize how bad I was. Anybody identify with that? And I'm I'm glad in many ways that God didn't reveal that all to me right at the start, because it would have been overwhelming. But God has a way on this journey of unmasking those things to us. And you think to myself, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that was in me. Ever been there? Yeah? Come on. Yeah. Didn't realize that you could get really irritated up behind a stack of cars. Lose your patience and grace and all of that. I used to work out in the country where there, were, there was no problems with traveling around and invariably it never frustrated me. And then when I had to work in the town and get behind people who hang around at the lights, it revealed something in me that needed dealing with. Yeah? Ever been there? My wife is making some... <laughs> she could tell you more. Yeah, she could. But that, that's it, the journey to the promised land, the journey to this, this blessing that God has for us has, uh, also reveals uh, the need for further deliverance that we have. Yes, in Jesus, we have everything. But as we go on, we realize that we need more deliverance. We need more setting free. I am free in Him, but I need more freedom as I go on. Amen? And so we need to get used to battle, brothers and sisters. There's a war on. And Jesus even encountered it in his friends. And, you know, that those he loved, those who were with him on the journey, sometimes the enemy got the better of them and sought to, to slow him down, to put him off, to redirect him, to prevent him from going to the cross. Yes, sometimes even in our, our brothers and sisters, we can find the enemy operative and, and bringing discouragement. And, 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 and so we back away. So we discover we are on a battleground, and one, could, one would like to say a whole lot more, but just simply to say that, you know, those three areas of the world, the flesh and the devil, are as real as they ever were. And we perhaps don't talk so much today about spiritual warfare as what we used to. And sometimes there is a danger of reaction because people go over the top on it, a bit like it when I grew up. I grew up in the era of the Cold War, you know, those who are older will remember the Cold War when you were afraid that somebody at any moment was going to press a button and, and there would be nuclear explosions here, there, and everywhere. And for theology, it was any time now Jesus is coming. Get ready. And you have films that would scare the living daylights out of you. You know, with the last Trump and so on. And God bless those films, even though they were scary and that kind of thing. You know, will you be left behind? Uh, and, uh, and so we, we lived in the Cold War and, and there was this thing about reds under the bed. 
you know, communists everywhere. They were creeping in and, and, and so on. And, and sometimes we react to things. And, and the whole area of spiritual warfare, perhaps there's been a reaction where people just seeing demons everywhere. And then we go in the other direction and neglect it altogether. Brothers and sisters, we are in a war. Satan is real and he does have his minions. And we do need to learn how to fight. We were born on a battlefield for battle. You have no choice. I have no choice. We're called to fight. The reality is that the war was on before you came to Christ. You just didn't know it. In that case, but we've been born into a battle. Been born onto a battlefield. And Paul says, doesn't he, to the church of Ephesus, he says, fight the good fight. We need to fight it. Fight the good fight. He writes to Timothy. And he writes to them in Ephesians 10, talking about the need to, to be put on the whole armor of God and be ready for the day of battle. So the world, the ways of the world, the world system that we're up against, flesh, those aspects of our nature that are still being transformed and, and the devil, how he opposes all that God wants to do. Do you know the devil is resisting God's purpose in your life? And you need to learn how to recognize how he's resisting that purpose so that you can resist him and overcome him. So that you can be a conqueror because God wants us all to be more than conquerors. And being a conqueror involves being in a battle and learning how to win it. And then, of course, there's a whole area of suffering and difficulty, that part of the Christian life which kind of makes life messy and we have to learn to live with God in and understand that he is still there, he is still present to us, and he is still working his purposes out. So what kind of people does he call us to be? What kind of people? Firstly, we're called to be a people who belong to God. Therefore, we're called to be holy because he is holy. We belong to God outside of Christ, but we were not redeemed. But in Christ, we are redeemed and we belong to him completely. He has us. I am not my own. You are not your own. We belong to him. And that's a a good thing to learn as we live this life, that you and I are not meant to be Frank Sinatra singing, I did it my way. It's about the fact that we're his and we learn to do it his way. What is he saying to us? How are we responding Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Turn to the person next to you and say, Did you realize you are his treasured possession? Go on. Let's say together we are his treasured possession. One, two, three... We are his treasured possession. And again, we are his treasured possession. That gives us significance, doesn't it? In a world that is looking for significance, for for meaning and purpose and and direction in life, for fulfillment. We are his treasured possession. We belong to God. And then, secondly, we are a people who are set apart 
in Joshua 3 verse 5, we, we discover that as they were moving forward, they were called upon to set themselves apart, to, to consecrate themselves for tomorrow, for the Lord will do wonders among you. So yes, there is that initial consecration that we have when we, we come to Jesus and we discover him as our Savior and Lord, but there are times in our lives when we, we, we make a special consecration. I have done it, and I'm sure others have done it here, where, where God has spoken into your life, it's, and it's a, it's a new day. It's, you're on the edge of something new, and it's a moment of reconsecration, where you give of yourself afresh to God for what is in front of you, and you say, God, here I am. Here I am. Take me and use me as you will. I've done it many times. And we are in a new season. And we want to do that together. To say, here we are. God is, is, is moving us on as a community. He is enlarging our vision. He is reshaping that vision. And it's a moment for reconsecration. It's a moment for saying, God, I'm in. God, I'm here. God, take me, fill me, use me as you will in this body that you have put me. So they were set apart. And you see the same thing again in Romans chapter 6 and Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. It says, you know, therefore, because of the mercies of God, let's give ourselves to him. Let's offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable, our spiritual worship. So they were a people who belonged to God. They were a people who were set apart. They had moments of special consecration, of, of preparation. Special preparation is, is, is very often demanded whenever God is going to reveal himself and move in a new way. If you want God to move in your life in a new way, I want to say, I want to say this, consecrate yourself afresh. Consecrate yourself afresh. Saying, God, this is where I've got to on my journey, but I know there is more. It may be that you've been treading water. And I felt the other day that God was saying, there are some here who've been treading water, and it's time to stop treading water. It's time to begin to push out and make those strokes and and, and push out in God into that which he has for you. You want God to, to reveal himself. And maybe you, you look jealously at others and think, oh, I wish he would do that for me. But will you consecrate yourself? Will you say, this week, for example, I'm going to set aside particular time just to be in the presence of God. Just to be with him. Just to consecrate myself. Say, Lord, here I am. Do what you will. Thirdly, they were a people of the presence. And all through this story that we, we read in, in the Old Testament, all through this, this story of Exodus and, and Numbers and, 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 and Joshua, you, you realize that they're people of the presence. God was their God and he was a God who was with them. And he, he made that known in the, the pillar of fire uh, by day and the cloud by night. In the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting, in the ark of the presence, it's all speaking about the fact that God was present to them. 
Sometimes they felt it very, in very real and very dynamic ways. At other times, they relied on the sign and the symbol. And that, so this, this ark that they carried... And I, do you know, I just think it's so amusing. I mean, God must have a sense of humor, mustn't he? And, uh, you know, th- this ark that they carried, and when you think of them crossing the Jordan, I mean, you think, God, don't you know it's harvest time? Don't you know what time of year it is? God, God don't you know that actually that time of year, it's just flooded. It would be a lot easier if you waited until the season when, when the river's back inside its banks and we knew the boundaries of it and we could cross it. But God says, no, cross it in flood season. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, this is God, isn't it? And you may have known times in your life, and there may well be times in your life when God asks you to do something, and you think, God, it doesn't look right at the moment. All, all the, you know, if, you, if you just wait a moment, things will be ready, and then you, we can cross. But God, no, he says, cross the Jordan in the season of flood. You know, I mean, when I think that, when, we, when God began to speak to us about the building, you know, you could think to yourself, now? Really, God? Now? You know, surely there's a better time to do this than now? And God says, now. So you listen to him, don't you? And you begin to, to cross it. But I love it because the priests carried that, that Ark of the Presence first of all, didn't they? They carried the Ark of the Presence into the midst of the water. And they stood there. And they didn't have to wait for six months for it to dry up. It dried. <laughs> and God led them across his presence. You may not, at this moment in time, feel God's presence. But look to the signs and the symbols that God gives us. Whereby he says, I am with you, even unto the end of the age. I am with you, even in your difficult circumstances. Even in your unfulfilled words, I am with you. So they were people of the presence. And we know uh, how Joshua loved to linger in the presence of God after Moses had to go and get on with the business of looking after the people. He loved to linger in the presence of God. The giants, the battles that we face day by day are designed to nurture our relationship with God, with the Father designed to drive us into the presence where we know his presence. We, we unpack it before him, we listen to him, and we learn from him. You know, the battle uses those enemies otherwise. He will use them to keep you away from Father. He will say to you, what's the point? You've prayed about that many times. What's the point? And that's where you have to stand on the word of God and on the promises of God. Sometimes I've taken those very promises and I said, God, this is what you have said. I don't feel it. I don't see it. I don't know how it's going to work out. But God, I know this is your word. And in that we, and Graham referred to it earlier, I'm going to use the term, we mustn't neglect, as it were, the means of grace. Because God has provided those means for us that we may be with him even when we don't feel like it. And we don't feel him. So we go to the place of prayer. We go into the word because it is God's word. It's inspired by him and it speaks to us. The whole of it is profitable 
for life and faith and conduct. We, we come to church and, yeah, there are times when I get up sometimes and I, I don't feel like church. Ever, any, anybody ever not felt like not going to church? Oh, you don't want to know. You don't want to, you don't want to admit that, do you? But, you know, there are times when we, we don't feel like it. But we press through. We come because it is a means of grace. We gather with the gathered community and we discover God is there. And we worship him even when we don't feel like it. We engage with him and with his body. Breaking of bread. When we come around that table, it's a means of grace as we feast on the bread and the wine. We feast on Jesus in faith. We partake of him. Preaching. Again, so often we can think, well, you know, God's in the worship, but preaching is just, just a little bit of talking to help us get along on the journey. Preaching is an act of God. It is an act of God. It's such an act of God that sometimes, I, I sometimes feel, can I carry it? Because of the responsibility to discharge the word of God faithfully. Truthfully. And then they were called to be people of faith. Called to be risk takers. This is one of the things that we're, we're looking at in, you know, what, what is our culture? And it, it, it must be a given, mustn't it, that the people of God are a people of faith. To be risk takers. Previously they had looked at the land and they had studied it. They had been realistic they got depressed and stayed where they were, wandering in a desert for 40 years. But isn't God kind? He gives them shoes that don't wear out. He gives them manna day by day. There's the, the, the pillar of fire and the cloud, etc. The graciousness of God. So they were called to be people of faith. They were called to be risk takers. And as, as Joshua says to them, you know, consecrate yourselves because we have not been this way before. We, we love areas of security. We love comfort zones. But the way God works is to move us. He doesn't want us to settle down. I, I do find the story of the two and a half tribes an intriguing one. So before they come to cross over Jordan into, into the land of Canaan, Canaan, there are two and a half tribes who look at where they are and they say, this is, this is so good. We, we are shepherds. We've got sheep. We've got, we've got all our, our stock. And, and this land here, it's really, really, really good. We would like this as our inheritance. And Moses gets angry with them. And God is not pleased with them either. But then, as you come over into Joshua, later in the story, you find that God speaks to them and he has given them that land. And I want to suggest to you this, that you can choose to settle where you are and God will allow you. That's kind of a little bit scary, isn't it? So it wasn't God's intention because God's intention was all of them in Canaan. That was their land, not east of the Jordan. 
And they, they say, look, this is good here. We really like it here. We're comfortable here. We've got everything that we need here. And so in the end, it's God says, well, if that's what you want, you can have it. And I say, God, save me from that. Because I've known those creeping things come up in my own life. Where it's like, oh, do I really want another battle? Do I really want to put more effort in to this? God, give me a break. And God gives us a break. They're not easy words, but as it says in 1 Corinthians, these things are written for our learning. So there were people of faith. They were risk-takers. Unbelief had kept them out, but now faith was going to take them in. They were people who were committed to one another. They were a community. We've already referenced that, so I won't spend uh, much time there. But just to to realize the importance of being community, of being a people together in unity. And I I love this that Dallas Willard says in The Spirit of the Disciplines. He says, personalities united can contain more of God and sustain the force of his greater presence much better than scattered individuals. Whoa! Did you get that? Let Let me repeat it. Personalities... United can contain more of God and sustain the force of his greater presence much better than scattered individuals. That is the power of a community who are united in God, who are keeping in step with the Spirit. More of his presence, more force, more power, more love. And then, again, we've already referred to this, there were people who were willing to fight. It wasn't going to fall into their laps. There were battles ahead. There were giants to fight. Ephesians 6 verse 10 talks about how that we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to fight successfully the battles, the giants that we come up against. Warfare is necessary because of enemies without and enemies within that seek to keep us from our inheritance. Wow. Wow. It's a big story, isn't it? And you have a part to play in the story. I have a part to play in the story. We have a part to play in the story. Someone's paraphrased Proverbs 29 verse 18 this way. Without a story or vision directing one's plan in life, the people perish. Brothers and sisters, God has given us a story. And God is writing a story in which he calls us, each one, to play our part, to live out this this God life together and see the kingdom of God come in greater measure. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity, the Christian way is different. It's harder and it's easier. Christ says, give me all. I don't want much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. Have you ever felt like that when God's dealing with you? I have. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked, the whole outfit, and I will give you a new self instead. In fact, 
I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Wow, that is a vision. Let's stand, shall we? Why don't you just hold out your hands? I'm sure in this God has spoken to people in many different ways. But just hold out your hands before the Lord. Just allow the Holy Spirit to just bring home to you that part that he really wants you to lay hold of this morning. Where he spoke It may be that you're the one who's treading water and God is saying it's time to stop treading water. Maybe that you're the one who's saying, I don't want any more battles. And God is saying, step back in. Step back in. It's time to fight again. It may be that you have Settle where you are. God is so gracious and merciful and, and in his grace in this New Testament age he comes again and he says, I'm giving you a fresh opportunity. Will you take it? It may be that there are giants within you keep pretending are not there. And God wants you to go out slaying them recognizing them and dealing with them in Christ and seeing greater freedom. Maybe giants without. God is laying before you personally a vision. He's laying before us a vision. And he's saying, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for I will do wonders among you. So Holy Spirit, work what you will in each heart and life in each marriage, in each family. Work what you will in us as a community of your people because, Lord, we want everything that you have for us. We don't want the enemy to keep us back from any of it. Teach us how to fight a good fight. Teach us how to be warriors, men and women who know how to take up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and take the battle on. Help us each to be overcomers, possessors of this inheritance which you are giving us. In Jesus' name, amen.